0: everyone and welcome to another amazing episode of the joy of being for busy working mums and women in business and beyond who are seeking to unplug from their worries and overwhelm to light up with insight and joy I, your host mum, and effortless lifestyle coach marina pearson talk to transformational professionals business owners and creatives about what it really takes to have a business in life you can truly enjoy And today I've got some amazing news. You can now pre-order your very own version of The Joy of Being book, supporting hardworking mums to stress less and live more. If you're the type of mum who is struggling with the burdens of motherhood or modern day life, then this will be a perfect book for you. If you're curious, you want to know more, and you want to see what's up with that book, you can do so at ww.marinapearson.com slash order. And there you'll find all the amazing goodies that you'll get if you pre-order the book before the 10th of May. So this week I am flying solo. You get to listen to the wonderful me for the next 45 minutes. But I thought I'd do something different this week, which is to actually share a recording of my chapter of my book, Rethinking Negative Feelings. I wanted to share this chapter with you in audio form because we've just come out the tail end of maternal mental health week and I've seen so much in the papers and so much on television around burnout and stress and depressions and how they affect us as mums. But what I don't hear much of is people saying how these actual feelings are our friends. They are Our body's wisdom letting us know that we're not looking in the right direction. They're like rumble strips on the road. So, I wanted to go into a little bit more detail about that to give you a totally different perspective, to give you a complete paradigm shift on how maybe you are viewing your feelings at the moment. And if you're going through a bad time and you are in depressions and you are experiencing feelings of not being able to cope and so forth, then this is going to be an amazing episode for you. Enjoy. So, on today's show, you get to experience me flying solo. yay <laughs> And I decided that I wanted to share an audio recording of my upcoming book, The Joy of Being, The chapter being Rethinking Negative Feelings. We're just coming out of a week of maternal mental health week. I was really blown away by the amount of support that's out there now for mums that are really struggling, the amount of women and mums that are out there, Campaigning for depression to be destigmatized and for us to be able to talk about it. The amount of women and mums that are talking about how it's okay to feel the way that we do. The amount of mums that are out there sharing their thoughts about the subject. And I think it's amazing that this is happening. But I also see that the narrative kind of stops there. This is what's going on for me. Me too. Then what? Is there another step we could be taking? Is there another area we could be looking in? Is there something else for us to be able to actually navigate life with more ease? Now, if you're sitting here listening to this podcast and going, okay, Marina, fine. But here's the thing I've got depression. I'm really struggling with anxiety. I take medication. I feel like I'm not coping. I don't have enough time. I'm a single mom, for example. I don't have the support. How are you going to tell me that actually there's an easier path? And I get it. I totally get it. It looks to me like there isn't an easier path when you're in those sorts of, in that sort of thinking, right? It looks really difficult. And I know because I've been there. But I also know that I haven't been there. I also know that I'm not no longer there. And while I can get caught up in being there, it doesn't last for very long. So what is there? What is the there that I'm actually talking about? Well, as human beings, our state of mind fluctuates from moment to moment. So sometimes we see things clearly. We're in a really nice feeling. And sometimes we don't. And for some of us, we, haven't, we don't remember the last time we were in a really nice feeling. All we are present to, aware of, is our state of mind being vigilant, constantly uh, looking, making sure, control, uh, stressed, overwhelmed. And I go into more detail about this in the chapter of the book. And so we look to answers, maybe, such as I'm not coping very well, so therefore I need to take something for it, like medication. And there's nothing wrong with that, absolutely. I'm not here to advocate don't take medication because that's not it. But I did want to invite you with an open mind to the possibility that what you feel isn't the circumstances you have, or your kids, or the amount of work you've got on, or the lack of time, or all of the responsibilities? And I know it may look that way to you right now, but I want you to be open, or maybe even start to realise that maybe it's not always this way, hundred percent of the time. That there are moments, glimpses in your life where there is a little bit of ease, a moment of peace, a moment of calm. And that's where I want you to look because often we can focus on the things that we feel that scare us and we miss the glimpses. We miss the moments of peace and they get tossed to the sideline as the overthinking and the stress takes over. So I recently heard a beautiful podcast by uh, Dr. Will Pettit. He is a renowned psychiatrist. He has been exploring and researching the understanding that we are feeling our thinking, not our circumstances for about 40 years. And recently I was listening to one of his podcasts and two things that came from that, that I hadn't really heard that I type kind of seen that I hadn't really heard. First was so-called negative feelings are our friends. Now, In the chapter, I point to the fact that they are signposts, that they're useful, but I'd never seen them as being our friends. And it caught my attention and it struck me that that was a really novel way of seeing it. And I was curious as to why that would be the case, because often the majority, when we feel something we don't want to feel, we fight it, we want to repress it, we want to do anything but to feel it, right? And so we might, you know, drink the bottle of wine at night just to calm down, or we might throw ourselves into our work uh, so that we don't need to be with the feelings that we're in and we get distracted, or we decide that we are going to take medication to not feel the things that we don't want to feel. So when I heard that, it was like, they're our friends, really? Okay, Right what's the argument here, right? Like, what are you talking about? Like, how is that even possible? And it was simply the explanation that went something like this. So we have the capacity to feel pain, right? We put our hands on the stove and we can feel it. It's pain. If hands on the stove that's on and it's painful, right? You take it off because it burns you. Unless of course you can't feel pain on your hands. And therefore the only way that you can understand that you've actually put your hand on a burning stove is because you can smell the flesh, by which point you've probably done quite a lot of damage to your hand. So that would suggest that pain is actually a good thing. It would suggest that it's an alarm system to to us to say, hey, you need to take your hand off the burning stove. Otherwise, you're probably going to be left without a hand. And I don't know about you, but I like my hands, and so I would much rather keep it, right? So that's a really cool thing that we have the alarm bells that do that for us. It's like, wow, okay, that's cool. Just like if we fall over and we hurt ourselves, we know that we need to take care of that thing because – it hurts, right? Otherwise, we might die. We might kind of you know, throw ourselves off a cliff because we don't feel the, he- the, the pain. But what I heard in what he said was that just like that, our feelings are just like the pain on the burning stove. They're not letting us know that anything is wrong. They're letting us know the state of mind that we're in. They're attempting to wake us up to our true nature, which is love abundance, joy. They're attempting to point us back to that, just like the rumble strips on the road. They're uncomfortable, right? I don't know about you, but I've actually been on the road before and suddenly I'm kind of fallen asleep and the rumble strips wake me up. They're really useful. They're really helpful, those rumble strips, because if they weren't there, you would crash. And our so-called negative feelings do the same thing for us. They are the rumble strips on the road. They're attempting to wake us up to look in the right direction, which is towards our wisdom, which is towards something that we can't see, which is towards our spiritual nature, which is towards the joy that we are, the love that we are when we're not caught up in our thinking. And so I've observed innocently, mums who are in a bad place get even more anxious because they fear their experience. And I, and I love this quote by Sidney Banks. And he says, if the only thing people learned was not to be afraid of their experience, that alone would change the world. If the only thing people learned was not to be afraid of their experience, that alone would change the world. Wow. And what I heard in that was that we can feel things we don't want to feel, but it's okay. We're okay. We don't need fixing and we're not broken because in actual fact, our body's doing exactly what it's designed to do, which is to keep us pointing back or wanting to wake us up to our spiritual nature. But we get really scared. It's like there's a problem. Oh my God, what's the problem? Oh my God, I'm depressed. Oh my God, I'm not coping. Oh my God, I'm anxious. Oh my God, I am suffering with an anxiety disorder. What does that mean about me? What does that mean about me being a mum? What does that mean me? Oh my God, now I'm a failure. Oh my God, you know, I'm not worth anyone. Um, I'm not contributing to anybody in the household. Oh my God, you know, I feel guilty. And so we pile more thought upon thought upon thought upon thought innocently without realizing that we are creating that. And we then point to, well, it must be the anxiety that's creating that, or it must be the depression that's creating that. And so now these become entities, they become pathologies. When in actual fact, if we leave our thinking alone... It passes. As I mentioned in the book, in this chapter, I talk about this moment in in Bali when I was sitting by the pool, minding my own business. And I was meditating one morning and I felt the sting between my legs and I realized a mosquito had bitten me. And I was going to do the very thing that I would usually do, which is to scratch it. And then it would usually bleed. And then I would scratch it a little bit again. And then it would scar. But this time... A new thought popped into my head, which said, leave it the bloody alone and don't do anything. So I didn't. I sat with the sting between my legs and a minute later that sting had died down and actually a minute and a half later it had gone. And I suddenly saw, oh my goodness, what if I did that with my thinking? What if I just left it alone to fluctuate as it does, by the way? Like clouds, they come and go. But we then get really obsessed about, oh my God, I'm depressed. This must mean this, and this must mean that, and now I'm awful, and now I'm this. And and do you see how that works? And then, of course, we, we don't want to feel those things, so we take medication, and then we think that the, the reason why we're feeling even more anxious is something to do with the medication, when in actual fact, it's got to do with all of that revved up thinking that we have about the medication that we're on, and the, the, the pathology that we now have, and we are so scared of that experience, but we don't need to be. That's the good news. That's the good news. I had a client who I worked with, and she had been feeling very depressed for about five years and had been looking for answers. And so when, she, when, I, and her, when I and her started working together, she told me about this. She told me about how this depression had been following her, it was to do with her dad's death. And I don't know what I said. I don't know how and what she heard, but she heard something that was so impactful for her that all of that years, all of those years of depressing thinking just went in a moment. In an instant, she dropped it, all of that thinking. She'd seen something new for herself. And the cool thing is this is the capacity we all have we all have the capacity for insight. We all have the capacity for a new thought to pop into our awareness and for that to completely change the way that we see our lives and experience it. So, without much further ado, I'm going to leave you to listen to the episode of the book. And to let you know that the book is now on pre order. And if you've listened to this after the pre order is done, no worries. Um, you can always go to www.marinapierson.com slash order. And there you can actually pre-order or order the book at whichever point you're in um, on Amazon, either in the US or the UK or on Audible at some point. So enjoy the order recording of this chapter. Bye bye for now. Chapter two, rethinking negative feelings. All feeling is neutral until we judge it, Marina Pearson. Just as you can misunderstand where joy comes from, the same can be said for so-called negative feelings such as stress, anger, overwhelm and so on. When you have these feelings, do they give you a sense of not being able to cope with all of your responsibilities? My clients share how their stress becomes stressful to live with and their emotional overwhelm becomes overwhelming. The challenge isn't that you aren't experiencing insecure feelings. The obstacle is in believing that something other than thought is creating the feelings you experience. Likewise, judging the feelings you have as bad while searching to get rid of them provides further challenge. When you do this, it may look as if you have ever-increasing issues to solve and change. Life seems complex. You may spend your time worrying or overthinking things or ruminating over 101 reasons why you feel the way you do. Money, lack of time, difficult people, to-do lists, feeling tired, deadlines, team, juggling money or work, and what you need to change in order to feel better. This is exhausting and can deplete your energy. When you search to get rid of bad feelings, it will inevitably keep you in the search and struggle for longer. Moving you further away from the joy and peace you seek. If you've never insightfully seen this, that you are living in the feeling of your thinking and not your circumstances, it can look as if you're a victim of circumstance when you're not. When you believe your thinking and emotional state work in a way that they don't, believing feelings can come from the job, the hours, other people, etc., you may perceive you are a victim and you will experience being victimized. When this happens, you are experiencing thought. Living in the feeling of your thinking, which means you are actually not a victim of circumstance. Stop managing the feelings you have. The most common way to try to relieve stress is to do something about it by managing it or getting rid of it. In other words, we fall into the trap of wanting to control our stress so we can live with it or do something to make it stop. I have often seen rituals such as meditation, yoga, exercise or journaling being prescribed for stress. Now there's nothing wrong with any of these activities, they all have their place. But the challenge comes when you think that the reason you feel better is because of the activities that you take part in. If you are relying on these activities to give you a feeling of well-being, you're back in the illusion again. While these activities are helpful to maintain a healthy body, they cannot give you a feeling. Let's take yoga as an example. For the last 14 years, I have practiced Ashtanga Yoga as a way to calm my mind, I initially used it to get to somewhere other than where I was, like most practitioners I know. While yoga is an incredible way to look after the body and nurture it, the people I met who used it to distress were some of the most stressed people I'd actually ever met. Me included! I was part of the group of people who came to yoga to escape their stress and use it as a somewhere to get to, as an escape. While there wasn't anything wrong with this, I was missing out on something important – realizing why I was running to my mat. I counted on yoga to fix my problem of stress. After the practice, I would feel amazing and attribute it to the yoga, as opposed to the incredible system that we all have, which calms the stressful thinking on its own. Consequently, I became dependent on yoga to feel good. What would happen on the days when I didn't go to yoga? I felt awful because I created an illusory dependency on it and needed a hit. I would beat myself up, feel guilty for not going, and spend my time pining over the next session. It couldn't come quickly enough. Unbeknownst to me, the feelings of good and bad were not coming from doing or not doing yoga. They were in fact coming from the gift of thought in the moment. When I understood this, it changed everything. From then on, I was able to enjoy yoga for what it was. I found that I felt good without needing to go because my experience of feeling good wasn't coming from the practice, but from thought in the moment. The challenge with prescribing solutions to stress or unwanted feelings is that the solutions aren't, are unreliable as they don't consider that thoughts fluctuate from moment to moment. Sometimes you may enjoy a quiet mind during yoga practice and sometimes you won't. It's not the yoga that determines your state of mind as there is something deeper going on based on some fundamental principles of life. The Three principles of experiencing life. My understanding is that there is a spiritual truth universal to all of us That is, that the way you experience life is via three principles. The principles of thought, mind, and consciousness. These three principles are constantly creating your reality, whether you know it or not. It is the same for everyone. The principle of thought. Simply put, the very fact that you can imagine, speak, touch, smell is a result of thought giving you the ability to do so. It's neutral, and all it does is give you the experience of what you put into it. If I were to ask you to think of a pink elephant... The power of thought gives you the ability to conjure up the image in your mind in the moment, just like a projector on a movie screen. We know by a thought that we are thinking, and we are, of course, feeling. It's the very thing that allows you to experience a beautiful sunset, a caress, your favorite movie, and the list goes on. Thought doesn't have the ability to discriminate between good and bad, positive or negative, high or low, beautiful or ugly. It just is. The principle of mind this is what some people refer to as universal intelligence, the energy that gives life to us in nature. It is the same energy that gives rise to creative ideas, solutions and realizations. The principle of consciousness. As I already shared in chapter one, the principle of consciousness is our capacity to be aware. Consciousness gives life to the thoughts we have and animates them through our senses. These three principles are like the law of gravity. You may not be able to see gravity... Nevertheless, it's constant and everyone experiences it. If we know that these principles exist, it helps to understand that what creates our reality, which can bring huge relief. When you understand that what you perceive is fluid and isn't real, feelings that you experience as negative have less of a grip on you. Your inbuilt self-correcting system. Have you ever noticed that when you are lost in stressful thinking, your mind calms down on its own at some point without needing to do anything? Just like the body heals on its own accord, the mind has the power to self-correct. I see this in my son all the time. One moment he's in the middle of his own thought storm where he starts to have more thoughts about a thought, and the next he calms down and brightens up like the sun coming through the clouds to warm the day. Just like storms and clouds, thoughts come and go. They are transient. There is nothing you need to do with them, as the moment will always pass. Like a snow globe when you shake it up, all the bits create a mini storm inside the glass, but if you leave it and do nothing, it will settle. This is how it works for us too. All feeling is neutral. There is nothing wrong with feeling what you feel. All too often, I see my clients sitting in judgment on how they feel and say things like, I know I shouldn't feel angry, but... Or I know I shouldn't feel guilty, but... Who says you shouldn't feel what you feel? All feeling is neutral until the ego decides to judge it. Why am I sharing this with you? Because if you think that it's not okay to feel bad when you may well want to avoid bad feelings by feeling unhelpful behaviors to avoid them, eating too much, drinking too much or working too much, denying them or letting thoughts judge you. We all have days where we experience feelings of sadness, guilt and upset. That's all part of the human experience. But these so-called unwanted feelings are just as important as rain is to dry land. Just as plants need rain and sun to grow, you need the lows to appreciate the highs. It is highly possible that the main reason you judge the feelings you experience is because sometime in your childhood you were told you were wrong to have them. You have some hidden layers of thought. A classic example is being told that good girls don't get angry. So when we get angry, we feel guilty suppress it or even avoid situations like confrontations Because we don't want to feel what we feel. The challenge with this is that the more we make these feelings wrong or want to do something about them, the longer we get stuck in them. Here's how the layers of thought can go. First layer of thought, I feel low. Second layer of thought, I wish I didn't feel this way. I should know better. Next layer of thought, I don't want to feel this. How do I get myself out of here? Why do kids bounce back more quickly from the downs? because they don't judge their feelings. They simply get let the system do the work to bring them back to centre. It's not about whether you go up and down, because you will. It's about how quickly you bounce back. Bouncing back more quickly involves doing nothing and allowing your internal system to do the work. When I lived in Bali, I used to meditate in the mornings. One morning, I was sitting cross-legged by the pool when I felt a hot sting between my legs. My usual modus operandi would be to have a good scratch until it bled. But this time my inner voice told me to leave it alone to see what would happen. To my surprise, after a minute, the itch had gone. Usually I would search to ease the pain, making it worse and taking longer to heal, sometimes leaving a scar. But this time no scar and a far quicker bounce back rate because I did nothing. Thank you to that mosquito that did that for me. Remember, feelings say nothing about you. They are only ever sharing what state of mind you are in you may think feelings know that your circumstances exist but they don't they are simply signposts letting you know whether you're being present or not it is useful to understand what feelings are sharing with you because it lessens their hold when you know you don't need to believe every thought you have it means you can live your life with more peace inherit to disinherit has it ever occurred to you that your feelings are universal and that they don't belong to you. When I first had this realisation, it stunned me. I had erroneously believed that these feelings were my own and what I felt was unique to me, until I discovered otherwise. I now know that we all inherit feelings, thought patterns from those around us. When I was a teenager, I carried a deep sense of loneliness everywhere I went, like the cloud that follows Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh. I used to think it said something about how unpopular I was, and I would fill this feeling with relationships that were no good for me. I would phone different friends, spending hours chatting because I hated being on my own. As I became more grounded, well-balanced, this feeling receded but never left completely, cropping up over time. When I had Leo, that unwelcome feeling returned to accompany me into motherhood. I noticed it would be more present when Leo and I were alone together, when a pang of dread would spring out of nowhere and grip me. I was confused over what this feeling was saying and where it was coming from. So I avoided spending time alone with Leo. I would busy myself doing other things so that when I handed him over to my husband or the nanny, I wouldn't have to feel it. In short, my own misunderstanding stopped me from having the close and present relationship I wanted with my precious son. When my husband and I separated, I knew I would now need to spend more time alone with Leo which I found increasingly difficult as my loneliness intensified when we were together. Then came the bombshell realisation. I inherited this feeling from my mother. It came during an intense period of loneliness when I had taken Leo to the playground to distract myself. As he clambered over the bright yellow and red climbing frame, I looked into the sky for a moment and heard the voice of truth speak to me. This feeling you are in is not yours. It belonged to your mum. In that moment, I started to cry with deep gratitude because I suddenly saw the truth. I had inherited my mum's experience of being a mother. She too had found it difficult to give me her focused attention. Peace filled me as I finally understood why my mother hadn't played with me all of those years ago. I could see what it must have been like for her and I felt a deep compassion for her. While I still have moments when that feeling of loneliness returns, I'm learning to connect and play freely with my son anyway. I've come to realize that I can do the very thing that needs doing regardless of how I feel and so can you. One of the implications of seeing feelings for what they are is that you will be able to take them less seriously than you once did. The presence of these feelings will never stop, but they will have less of a hold on you what i take away from this is that the way you feel has got nothing to do with your circumstances it's an inside job and your self-correcting system settles you down every time it's not something you need a prescription for once you have the insight to see that your stress is not coming from anything other than thought the implications on you and your life are empowering as the content of thinking holds no power over you you will change the way you understand yourself just like i did what if stress is just reminding you that you're living in the misunderstanding of what creates your experience as opposed to saying anything about your circumstances? What would joy do? Some questions to ponder. So let's recap and reflect. There is nothing you need to do to get rid of your stress and overwhelm. It's through insight that effortless change occurs, which is something we all are built for. We each have a self-correcting system that brings us back to a state of clarity. We perceive life through the principles of thought, mind and consciousness. Stressful and overwhelming thinking is transient and will pass just like the clouds. Feel what you feel. All feeling is neutral until you label it good or bad. Judgments and analysis will keep you in the so-called bad feelings longer. It's not about whether you go up and down. It's about how quickly you bounce back. Feelings don't know that your circumstances exist. You can live a happy life irrespective of what you feel. And there we have it, another amazing episode of The Joy of Being. If you enjoyed this podcast, you may well enjoy the book as well. You can either download a free chapter, www.MarinaPearson.com slash chapter, where I go into much more depth into how we can create more time and space as mums. And if that doesn't fly and you're more curious about getting the entire book, then you can do that too at www.MarinaPearson.com slash pre-order. There you'll find a page with all the amazing goodies that you'll get if you pre-order it, before the 10th of May. So until next week's episode, remember, you are the joy you seek.